Neat Stuff Podcast, episode 14. Welcome to the Neat Stuff Podcast. My name is Devin. And I'm Kat. And we are freezing our butts off down in Eugene at Festival of Bands. This is a live rec- or live on-site recording. Yeah, we, we are we are in Autzen Stadium as we speak. Uh, we have just finished the preliminaries of all the different bands. And you may hear some percussion in the background and probably some wind. And Yeah, we are outside. Yeah, there, there may also be a percussion clinic in the background at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah, so whatever. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, marching band is kind of the, the, the physical sport aspect of music. It's the... Uh, you get a basically a bunch of high school students or college students together. You give them a bunch of instruments. You put them out on the field, and you have them march around and play music and have you know color guard dancing around around them with flags and sabers and such. And it's actually a really fun um, thing to see because it's it's a you know anywhere from thirty to a hundred people working together to make a performance. It's it is very similar to how a football team will go onto the field and work together to do it it's you know this time it's band people with clarinets and trumpets and sousaphones and such and and here comes the percussion so this is okay we're just going to talk over them and it's going to be great so the festival of bands have been around for 34 years uh it started in 1978 and it's hosted by the university of oregon so this is an all-day um all day march, all day marching band event, where, you know, where where people come from all over. We have some people from Idaho and Washington, and as far away as Grants Pass in Oregon, which is like really far away. Well, and Idaho obviously being farther than Grants Pass. Well, yeah, so but it's from all over, sort of converge on this area to compete with other, you know, with other bands and to show off what the band kids have been doing for the last couple of months. So, we've been. Fully, fully in, uh, interested. <laughs> Sorry. Hold that down. Okay, I got it. Um, we've been fully entertained so far by um, a couple of acts. Uh, my personal favorite so far was a band from Idaho, Timberline. Um, they did a show called Unsane. Um, it, it involved the band coming on in the most unusual way I think I've ever seen, uh, mostly with a flute on the 50-yard line, bending down, rocking back and forth, and screaming uh, as the rest of the band filed in, laughing maniacally, doing various things. And the... Uh, the, the Yeah, the percussion drums. Uh, the, oh, the, the, that's the drummers right. The drummers with, kicked their drums, drums in. They, well, they rolled the, them. I yeah, mean, rolled them onto the field. And there was people and behind us who were just like, oh, are they kicking those? You can oh. always tell the band kids when you're at competitions like this, because they're like, oh, 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 no, no, you shouldn't. The drum major signaled that they were ready by grabbing the flute from the one, from the person who was rocking on the ground and hurling it across the field as it broke into pieces. That was very satisfying. Because um, flutes are evil. 
Goblins are not evil. Especially, well, on marching bands, they're 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 not they're a useful group, but you can't really hear them unless there's a billion of them, or yeah. their microphone or their mic or something and amplified. Yeah. Which, you know, was interesting because there's when I was because I when was, I was in yeah, band when I was in band we didn't have microphones and only the most you know fancy rich bands were able to mic their their flutes. But, you know, a, a lot of it now with the decrease in price of audio equipment, you know, it's like every band has a synthesizer or a piano or yeah. someone speaking or some other weird audio track behind yeah. it, which is really odd. I think we saw at least three attempts at wireless mics, one successful. Um, so a field, I believe, is about 40 yards wide. And, and realistically, when we were in the... Um, when, when they were in the heat of things, there, there's probably some interference going on. So anybody who got about halfway across the field, as the narrow way of the field, um, they weren't getting a very good mic pickup, um, which was disappointing. Astoria had a cute little band. Um, and I, I mean, I, that, that doesn't need to be a bad thing. They, they actually have 20 people and six people in their pit. And the, the pit, for those of you who don't know, is stuff like your xylophones and your timpanis and your stationary objects. Yeah, the ones that are near impossible to march, because I'd be really impressed to see someone try to march a xylophone. <laughs> marching marimbas. Yeah, yeah. marching full-size xylophones. Yeah. Like, you can do the little tiny xylophones. It's not going to happen. But when you get the like ones that are some longer than people, uh, it's kind of hard to march those. Yeah, but Astoria did kind of a, um, a uh, mad scientist robot, you know, uh, marching band turned robots and their hats lit up which was awesome yeah um and their drum major and their color guard had uh lab coats which of course as a chemist i i am i'm always enthralled with people in lab coats so but but again the opening of their show was predominantly spoken by the drum major and his wireless mic cut out realistically about 70 percent of what he said so you only got a couple words every so often yeah which was unfortunate but you know, th the nice thing about the the Festival of Bands is that it is broken into two parts. There's the preliminaries, which is what we just finished, and then there's finals. So the top 15 bands uh, that were competing, and there's realistically only about 18 to 19 bands. So there's yeah. not a so it's usually in, most in three categories, yeah. by the way. And you you have the smallest bands in the 1A, and then you have 2A, and then you have open, which is the largest. Bands. Yeah, and we have a lot of single-A bands and not a whole lot of double-A and open. And it's interesting because, you know, when I was doing band when back in back ba in the day. Back, back when we were in high school. Yeah, there was actually, that ratio was flipped. There was very few single-A bands, but there was a ton of double-A and open bands. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the way that, you know, that schools are funded and how a lot of them have moved from eight periods a day to block scheduling to five periods or four periods a day or something like that, which really makes it hard to dedicate a whole period for band. And in addition, of course, the funding just to have a band is difficult, but it's also very difficult to get bands here. Um, we noticed the lack. So one, one of the huge bands that used to perform when we were younger is Skyline. And this year, Skyline's actually gone down to a two-way band, and it's considerably reduced in size. In addition, another huge band that was always a massive competitor was Evergreen, and Evergreen wasn't even here this year. Yeah, I think because just the cost of busing is intense, and 
with, you know, when gas is $4 a gallon, it's really tough to justify spending, you know, driving a truck, uh, a bus down or like two, three buses, which get basically eight to nine miles a gallon. So, yeah. and it's expensive just to get them down there. So, you know, people are feeling the pinch and I hope that with the economy recovers that you'll see bands get a little bit bigger because music and, and the arts is a really important part. And high school is, a, is the breeding ground for college level um, students and a lot of them for going on to become musicians as they get their start in high school. Well, and, and of course, the camaraderie of a band. I mean, even though I didn't get to be in band, I was just a band groupie. It was very important to see that kind of camaraderie and to have those stories and, you know, carrying around a five to 10 pound weight in front of your face while keeping your elbows up is a sport. And it just like other sports, it breeds togetherness and really helps give people like me, I proudly call myself a nerd or a geek, and I think a lot of us tend to gather towards band to enjoy the music, to enjoy people who enjoy the same things we do. It's a great um, exp ex sort of group expression. So they, they get a bunch of people together. And when I was in band, I was in a relatively large band. And, you know, I don't think I've ever done anything creative that's with that number of people since high school. And, you know, it was a very interesting experience. And I wish I was able to go on to do college level because that's, you know, 100 to 200 person bands and there's a whole lot of stuff going on. But and, you know, music is a really big part of culture and society and making it and doing it is is a lot of fun. So so speaking of making music, we wanted to talk a little bit. We're going to transition into kind of our first neat thing. Um, that we are not immediately witnessing to. Um, some of you may know, since we mentioned that we're at Autzen Stadium at University of Oregon in Eugene, um, we got to watch the OMB, Oregon Marching Band, perform. Um, and if you've been watching YouTube, you may know that they have a show for Gangnam Style this year, um, where they do, the whole band does the dance, and it's fantastic. There's a video of uh, the duck doing it as well. And it can be interesting to hear these kind of performance orchestral or band-based performances of pop songs and how you might create something like that on your own how you might be able to hear something and write the sheet music for all of these people yeah so the first neat first actual thing is finale uh is the finale music software this is a digital software that allows you to write your own sheet music on the computer and then print it out in a very high quality very professional looking sheet music that you can give to anybody and and have them perform it and have it look just like any other sheet music that you get off off the store um, another great part of it is that you can also listen to your music while you're creating it it uses something called midi technology something called midi midi yes sorry, sorry. i'm teasing you because <laughs> midi is very fairly well known yeah midi is actually um MIDI was, was created way back in the 80s before uh, the advent, or when it was made back in the 80s when digital recordings was still very difficult to do. You know, recording uh, digital copies of songs that took a whole lot of storage space. And when you had hard drives that were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars per gigabyte, every megabyte. Gigabyte, yeah. yeah. They didn't even really have gigabytes. Yeah. When it was hundreds of dollars per megabytes, it even was... Even per kilobyte. Yeah, I mean, each each byte mattered, and having a song that took up 
100 to 200 megabytes, I mean, it just wasn't feasible. And if you wanted to share that with somebody over dial-up, you know, sit, downloading a megabyte over dial-up is almost impossible. I well, mean, it takes and, forever. And realistically, you're not even looking so much at, at that. I mean, when you talk about MIDI's, you can't not talk about NES and original 8-bit music. Yeah. Uh, they're encoded, as far as I know, pretty much the same way. And most MIDI's that you will hear nowadays are 8-bit are songs from video games or from, from things like that, from other digital sources. Yeah. So MIDI was first created actually as a way to control digital uh, instruments. So if you had a keyboard or uh, some sort of, you know, a digital drum set or something and you didn't want to have to have, you know, the actual recording of each thing, you could use MIDI to to trigger different audio noises. So when you hit the C key on your keyboard, it actually translates to a C piano key or a drum beat or any of this other stuff. And it's actually a large portion of the 80s and 90s music used keyboards and used MIDI in order to write their songs, essentially. Anything that did sampling, all that stuff was triggered with MIDI. So, um, so going back to Finale, um, f Finale in and of itself um, is predominantly used for sheet music, but because it plays that music so that when you play your sheet music that you've written back, you will hear it as a MIDI, um, it is, is very good for that. And the nice thing about Finale is that it comes in a version called Notepad. It's a totally free software. You can just go onto the website and download it. And it has a limited uh, limited collection of instruments, only 128, which range from drums to piano to clarinets and saxophones and all that. All and that it, other it's, fun it's stuff. a much simpler program. It does not allow you to do as much. Um, you may need to do time signature changes. You may need to do key changes. Notepad does not offer that kind of flexibility. It does not offer repeat support. So if you put a repeat in something, I don't believe that Notepad will properly read that back to generate your MIDI. Um, so it's Notepad is very good for more simplified sheet music needs. If you're just getting started wanting to write music and you want to write sheet music, Finale Notepad is where you start. And that at least allows you to figure out songs. You know, when you do little folk tunes or something like that, it does key signatures. It does, you know, different timings for the entire song. And, you know, I've written a couple or I've, I've transcribed a couple of folk songs to, to the Finale Notepad. So I was able to play it with one person on, you know, on a on a, like a flute and another or one person on a recorder and another person on a concertina which I thought you had a mandolin oh, oh yeah it was, right. it was violin Sorry. concertina and flute and recorder was what we were playing and, right I and it was that. a it was a fun little thing and just doing it in, in notepad allowed me to check on harmonies and have a bunch of songs and figure out what sounded good and the other nice thing that uh, the full version of Finale has is um, you can actually take a piece of sheet music that you own and scan it in. And for the most part, th there are a couple of errors from the one time I've used this on somebody else's computer, to be fair. Um, but for the most part, it does a pretty accurate transcription of sheet music into digital form. Yeah, it also allows you to put in... There's the drums again. Yep, it allows you to put in different fonts, and you can actually put in funky sing, uh, funky symbols and all sorts of other stuff. You can put in lyrics, you can change keys. I mean, it's fully hosted, everything you need, and it comes back to a full score. So, um, the... 
And the 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 price for Finale, a full copy, is six hundred dollars. So it is pretty spendy. But if you're making music, it's totally worth it. And if you're a student, you can get it for three hundred fifty dollars. Another program that is similar to Finale, but offers a slightly different aesthetic um, and and final important package is Sibelius or Sibelius. You'll hear different pronunciations. That is S-I-B-E-L-I-U-S. It'll be in the link, of course. It is produced by Avid. Um, they also they also make the M-Audio audio adapters, which we talked about uh, in previous episodes of how we record stuff. And they also do Pinnacle, which is a uh, video uh, editing and recording software. So Sibelius is the direct competitor of Finale. Um, I find that it has a slightly more intuitive interface. Once you get used to it, I think it's a little bit easier to write music in Sibelius than it is in Finale. Um, The other huge um, benefit of Sibelius for me and for my friends who use it is that... um, Sibelius has sound libraries, so you can actually go download different instruments that are very, very accurate. You know, you may you may be like, oh, well, this clarinet sounds really good in this register, but I need I need a different clarinet for the high register. And you can make it sound, in my opinion, much more true to what the instruments sound like in real life. Um, if you're willing to put that kind of effort in. I mean, it, it does take time to, to identify which sound libraries work best for you. Yeah, it's also really useful because because Sibelius is part of a company that has that sells audio interfaces, you actually can buy, it's fully compatible with all the M-Audio interfaces, and you can hook them in with a MIDI device, and you can actually play your song, and it'll translate it into sheet music, and you can even come off of other, you know, maybe uh, non-MIDI instruments. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can work with, and I definitely would check it out, or and I would check it out if you are interested in making music and having something that's a little bit easier to use than Finale Notepad. Um, something that I used Sibelius for up up until basically I didn't have um, the drive enough to buy it anymore. I mean, these these are expensive programs, but um, you can load a MIDI into Sibelius, and it will actually transcribe it into sheet music. In my opinion, I think Finale does the same thing, but I only had Notepad, which is why I can't say how well that works in Finale. But um, for Sibelius, it's beautiful. Any notes that they put in, any tempo markings, anything like that will all be transcribed into the sheet music on Sibelius. Sibelius, gosh darn it. But Sibelius is about the same price if you're not getting the student version. It's six hundred dollars, uh, and it's three hundred dollars or two ninety-five, something like that, for the student or academic version. Uh, regardless of which one you purchase, you're gonna have a great, uh, a great interface and a great toolkit to work with if you're looking to make music. Absolutely. So our our next neat thing is the device that we are actually using to record this podcast this right now. It's very instant, even. It's very instant. It's the Zoom H4n. It's a, um, a, it's a small handheld microphone recording, you know, voice recorder. And the biggest thing about it is that it has, uh, it, that it has basically four inputs. It has two onboard microphones, so you can get left and right channel for the microphones on it. 
And then you have two XLR quarter-inch combo jacks on the bottom that allow you to plug in two microphones or any other device that you want into any it. Any XLR device. You know, XLR or quarter-inch. So you can plug in a, a um, you can plug in a, a guitar off of an amp or something, and you'll be able to record all of your audio for that and, and put it into a very simple wave file. It all records to SD card, so it's really easy to deal with and really easy to, to work with. Um, it's it also allows you to export or or send your audio out the headphone jack and you can plug it into a camcorder or something and really improve the audio interface that you would have on a on one of a chintzy uh, camcorder you can suddenly do okay video on the camcorder and get suddenly really high quality sound that's synced up to it while you're recording a master track of the audio and sending it to the camcorder at the same time so it's a really useful tool and it has a ton of of little you know audio fixes and audio adjustments low cuts uh, mixing you can mix in other stuff it even has a ex, uh, an auxiliary, auxiliary. Ja- yeah an auxiliary jack that you can plug in another microphone um, you know just you can send in an audio feed and you can use it as your basically as a tiny mixer and make the sound you know make your sound production with just this as everything you can tell that Devin's kind of the tech toy geek here, the sound toy geek. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, the list price for it is $600, but you can buy it on Amazon for $250. Uh, it's, totally worth it. Yeah, and what's great is that it runs on two AA batteries. And so you can just pop a couple batteries in it, and you're off and going. And it lasts for quite a while. So uh, it's easy to use. It's really useful and i recommend it to anybody who's interested in getting into doing audio recording i know there's a lot of other podcasts out there that use the zoom uh line of audio recorders to do everything so and on that note we reach the end of this uh on the road neat stuff on the road again (laughs) it feels so cold to be on the road again so if you have any really cool neat um, i think the word you're looking for is neat oh sorry so if you have any neat stories of your time in a music band go ahead and put those in an email and send it to neatstuffpodcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you if you have any neat stories about being at something that was not a music band i really 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 want to know and please send those as well so that i can hear them and if you want to check i'm sarcastic (laughs) and if you want to check out past episodes of the neat stuff podcast you can head over to neatstuffpodcast.com and check out all of our old episodes there's a lot of neat stuff out there and we want to make sure you all can hear it so until next time from the neat stuff crew my name is devin and i'm kat we will um, have a great week guys and we'll see you next week see you then bye 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 Thank you.